Peace and blessings be upon you. There's a movie I loved when I was growing up. It's called The Power of One. And it's a story of a white orphan boy growing up in South Africa during World War II and his fight against racism and apartheid. And there's this one scene, specifically a quote from the movie, that, you know, 30 years later, uh, it still sits with me. And uh, he's being questioned as far as what impact he could possibly have. And his response is, a waterfall starts with one drop. And look at what becomes of that. That before you see this raging waterfall, it only starts with a single drop. And oftentimes when we see the problems of the world, it seems like there's no way we can make an impact to help fix the situation. And the problem seems so large and our influence seems so small that it seems like it almost doesn't matter. Now, an optimist will argue that the impact one can make should not be discredited no matter how small. And there's this popular uh, story that, you know, I've heard circulate around. It says, uh, one day a man was walking along the beach when he noticed a boy picking up something up and gently throwing it into the ocean. Approaching the boy, he asked, what are you doing? The youth replied, throwing starfish into the ocean. The surf is up and the tide is going out, and if I don't throw them back, they'll die. Son, the man said, don't you realize there are miles and miles of beach and hundreds of starfish? You can't make a difference. After listening politely, the boy bent down, picked up another starfish, and threw it back into the surf. Then smiling at the man, he said, I made a difference for that one. And this story, it sounds nice, and it sounds caring to say like, okay, you know, here's this boy, he's making an impact on this one starfish. But I think there's something much grander that's being missed. You know, while it's nice to consider that no good deed, no matter how small, should be discounted, I think this viewpoint misses the bigger picture that our actions have astronomically larger impact on society and the creatures of this earth and possibly the entire human population than we perceive. Consider that the people of Lot were destined for hell, that they were going to be wiped out. But because of this one individual, Lot, and his family, minus his wife, that the entire community was given a respite, was given an opportunity to repent, to reform, to come back to the right path. And once this individual was removed from that community, that the community was utterly annihilated. That this single family was the threat that kept this community from utter annihilation. The people had no clue that they were allowed to persist in their ways simply because of the sole family in their community that was maintaining righteousness. But once that individual family left, the whole place was destroyed. Now consider this, you have an entire population of people. Things seem to be stable. Things seem to be reliable. But what is really the glue that's keeping the fabric of society together? It's single-handedly the few instances of righteous people who reside in that society that is enough of a reason for God to maintain that society and keeping it from falling into utter collapse. You know, consider even Satan, that Satan deserves to go to hell. Yet God gave even Satan a respite until the day of resurrection because there was good believers in the population of the humans that deserved being saved. In Surah 7, verse 11 through 15, it reads, We created you, then we shaped you. Then we said to the angels, Fall prostrate before Adam. They fell prostrate except Iblis, Satan. He was not with the prostrators. He said, What prevented you from prostrating when I ordered you? He said, I am better than he. 
You created me from fire and created him from mud. He said, therefore, you must go down. You are not to be arrogant here. Get out. You're debased. He said, grant me a respite until the day of resurrection. He said, you're granted a respite. And it says, since you will that I go astray, I will skulk for them from the right and from the left. And you'll find most of them are unappreciative. And this was the sole function that Satan was allowed to continue residing. That God gave him this opportunity to try to prove his point. And look, most people, given that opportunity, have a choice. They can choose to redeem themselves, to repent, to reform, or they can double down on this bad decision. But it's strictly because of the good people who deserve to be redeemed that the wicked are allowed to persist. In the Bible in Matthew chapter 13, verse 24 through 30, we read this parable. It reads, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted up, the informed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servant asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds, then tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And this is a parable for this life, that it's out of God's mercy for those who are righteous, those who deserve redemption, that he allows the, the weeds to, to prosper, to grow, to give them an opportunity to repent, to reform. And if you remove the wheat, the good doers, from that society, then there's no purpose of maintaining that farmland anymore. When God was introducing the human being to the angels, their initial response was that there was nothing redeemable about these people, in effect indicating that they believed that every human should be banished from God's presence and should be put in hell. Yet God knew that there were some few individuals in this population who deserved redemption. God tells us in Surah 35 verse 45, says, if God punished the people for their sins, he would not leave a single creature on earth, but he respites them for a predetermined interim. Once their interim is fulfilled, then God is seer of his servants. This verse informs us that if it wasn't for the few good apples who saw the errors of their ways and repented and reformed, that the entire human population would be in hell and there would be no need for any creatures on earth. Because the whole purpose of having this experiment, having creatures, having this planet, having this atmosphere, having this universe, was in order to test the human being. For those who simply went astray, who made the wrong decision, to be able to be guided back to the right path, to be redeemed back into God's presence. This means that as long as human beings are living in this world, there is the possibility of redemption for these individuals. In Surah 35, verse 37, God tells us what the people in hell are going to say. It reads, they will scream therein, Our Lord, if you get us out of here, we will work righteousness instead of the works we used to do. Did we not give you a lifelong chance with continuous reminders for those who would take heed? Did you not receive the warner? Therefore, taste the consequences. The transgressors will have no one to help them. Consider one of the most sinful people who ever walked on this planet, Pharaoh. 
that despite the atrocities he committed, there was a possibility that while he was here on this planet, that he could have been redeemed. He could have repented and reformed. In Surah 20, verse 43, it says, Go to Pharaoh, for he has transgressed. Speak to him nicely. He may take heed or become reverent. And this shows that even Pharaoh had the possibility, the potential to reform. But he chose not to. But it wasn't just Pharaoh. The entire Egyptian population was given a chance to be redeemed. We read in Surah 26, verse 10, it says, Recall that your Lord called Moses, Go to the transgressing people, Pharaoh's people. Perhaps they reform. That the people of the Egyptians had the opportunity that when Moses and Aaron came to them with the truth, that they could change their ways. They could be redeemed. They could make it back into God's kingdom. And out of all those people who saw the miracles from Moses and Aaron, we see that there was at least one person who took heed, who became reverent, who reformed from this. And it's because of this one individual that God spared that entire society and gave them a respite. And this individual is identified in the Quran as the believing Egyptian, who was amongst Pharaoh's people who took heed of this message. It reads in 4028 through 29, says, A believing man among Pharaoh's people who was concealing his belief said, How can you kill a man just for saying my Lord is God? And he has shown you clear proofs from your Lord. If he is a liar, that is his problem. And if he is truthful, you benefit from his promises. Surely God does not guide any transgressor or liar. Oh my people, today you have the kingship and the upper hand. But who will help us against God's judgment should it come to us? Pharaoh said, You are to follow only what I see fit. I will guide you only in the right path. So here you have a population of Egyptians that because of this one believer, that there was some potential within this community, God spared the people of Egypt for the time being. So these good individuals could find their way back to the path. God tells us in Surah 65, verse 11, that the function of the messenger is to take those who believe out of the darkness into the light. That this is what happens when God sends his messengers. That there's good individuals in darkness. But once they see the message, they recognize it like they recognize their own children. And it's for these individuals that God gives this community a respite. That God gives this community a chance to be redeemed. Or consider the children of Israel themselves, who by God's leave were taken out of bondage and given freedom. Yet when they were asked to do a simple task, to enter the gate humbly, the, the gate to the promised land, that only two of them accepted such a commandment, showing that the vast majority of them did not truly believe that they were weeded out. In Surah 5, verse 20 through 26, it says, Recall that Moses said to his people, O my people, remember God's blessings upon you. He appointed prophets from among you, made you kings, and granted you what he never granted any other people. O my people, enter the holy land that God has decreed for you, and do not rebel lest you become losers. They said, O Moses, there are powerful people in it, and we will not enter it unless they get out of it. If they get out, we are entering. Two men who were reverent and blessed by God said, Just enter the gate. If you just enter it, you will surely prevail. You must trust in God if you are believers. They said, O Moses, we will never enter it so long as they are in it. Therefore go, you and your Lord, and fight. We are sitting right here. He said, My Lord, I can only control myself and my brother. So allow us to part company with the wicked people. He said, Henceforth it is forbidden for them for forty years, during which they will roam the earth aimlessly. Do not grieve over such wicked people. That God realized that out of this entire population, 
that it was only these two individuals who were willing to follow through with the commandments, that God spared all these people in order to exalt those two individuals. In cosmology, there is an argument known as the anthropic principle. This idea deals with the statistical improbability of a universe originating that is suitable for life. This argument comes in two primary forms. The first form is known as the weak anthropic principle. And this form claims that the universe's ostensible fine-tuning is a result of selection bias. And you can think of this in the sense of survivorship bias. That if it was some other way, we wouldn't be here to make this observation. And since it is this way and we happen to be here, we're obviously seeing something that is extraordinary, but we're reading into it. We're inserting ourselves into the uh, fabric of the cosmos. And that's the weak anthropic principle. That we're here and amazed by the fine-tuning of the universe simply because we exist. That if we didn't exist, we wouldn't be here to marvel over it. But there's another argument known as the strong anthropic principle. And this makes the claim that the universe was specifically, intricately created with the objective of creating intelligent life. That we are not just simply the byproduct of the universe, but the universe was designed for the sake of creating intelligent life. So either you believe that the human being was the chance byproduct of the universe, or that the human beings were the target outcome of the universe. And I discussed this in a previous episode that, God willing, I can link to, uh, regarding the origins of the universe. But I believe that God created the universe for the sake of testing the human being. That first God decided the outcome he wanted, then put the things in motion to obtain that outcome. And in the Quran, we see the following verse of the messenger addressing his people in Surah 21, verse 111. It reads, For all that I know, this world is a test for you and a temporary enjoyment. My argument takes the strong anthropic principle and takes it one step further that I'm calling the moral strong anthropic principle. And my argument here is not just that God created the intricacies and the fine-tuning of the universe for the sake of the human being, but I believe that it's specifically created for the sake of the righteous human being. That everything else is secondary. That the entire purpose of this universe was to bring out the good qualities for those who deserve to be saved. And if it wasn't for these key individuals who by God's leave walked on this earth, that there would be no purpose for any of this. That as the angels wanted, we would have all been sent to hell. That there was nothing redeemable about the human race. But it's out of God's mercy that he saw that there was a few of us that God willing deserved to be redeemed. And he created this entire experiment for those who deserve redemption to find their path back to God's light. In Surah 7 verse 32 it reads, Say, who prohibited the nice things God has created for his creatures and the good provisions? Say, such provisions are to be enjoyed in this life by those who believe. Moreover, the good provisions will be exclusively theirs on the day of resurrection. We thus explain the revelations for people who know. This verse is informing us that all good provisions are created for the sake of the righteous among the people. And that on the day of resurrection, it's going to be exclusively theirs. Meaning that during this life, the unrighteous, the evil, can enjoy these provisions as well. But the purpose of them 
is strictly for the righteous. Again, because the purpose of this life is for those good individuals to be able to become appreciative, to be redeemed back into God's kingdom. And that the rest of society simply gets to benefit from this. But ultimately, the best thing they have is that they can use this opportunity to repent, to reform, to join the believers on the right path. And this, God calls, is the greatest triumph anyone can have. So under those pretenses, if you are the only righteous individual in your entire family, in your entire community, in your entire nation, that God is going to preserve that family, that community, that nation for the sake of that one individual. Now to think that our righteous deeds have no impact, It just seems absolutely absurd. Our righteous deeds have tremendous impact. That if there's only one righteous person in an entire community, that God will protect that community, will preserve that community for the sake of that individual. That if there's one righteous individual in the entire world who's walking on this planet, that God will protect the world for the sake of that one individual. In Surah 14 verse 28 it reads, Have you noted those who responded to God's blessings by disbelieving and thus brought disaster upon their own families? And the word that's used here for families is om. Om is your people. It's not limited to your blood relatives. That these individuals who step out of God's grace are not only bringing disasters upon themselves. If they were the only righteous people in that community, they're bringing disaster upon the entire community. That God preserves the community because of the righteous among those group, that those few individuals, if they exist, are literally the stitches that are holding the society from utter collapse. So next time you're considering the impact of your righteousness, realize that your righteousness may be the only thing holding society from the brink of collapse. In Surah 8 verse 73, it says, those who disbelieve are allies of one another unless you keep these commandments. There will be chaos on earth and a terrible corruption. So the weight of the world is on every single righteous person's shoulders. That if it's not for the select individuals, these few people on this planet in any given community who are willing to worship God alone, who believe in the hereafter, who lead a righteous life, that there would be nothing worth salvaging. And just like a farm that is nothing but full of weeds, it would all be thrown into the burner. But because of the few good wheat that are still amongst this farm, that God is going to hold off the retribution in order to save those few who deserve redemption. So the next time you're considering your impact on society, realize that these small righteous deeds, doing the salat, giving the zakat, leading a righteous life, has implications far greater than you can possibly perceive. That it's not just the impact on those immediately around you, but literally, you might single-handedly be the individual who is holding society together through your righteousness and saving it from utter collapse. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got comments or questions or want to get in touch, please join our Discord group. Praise God, we got a thriving community of believers who want to be purified, who want to study God's message, who want to worship God alone, and we would love to have you.
If you want to follow along the verses of the Quran, you can download the Quran Study app on the iOS App Store. If you don't have an iOS device, you can go to QuranStudyApp.com website. And if you want to get more information about the message, you can check out QuranicLabs.com. And until next time, peace and God bless.